I don't know if you remember, but about 10 years ago, it became quite questionable for anybody to publicly say Merry Christmas. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Everybody was, <laughs> says the four-year-old. It's awesome. <laughs> Everybody became real uh, nervous, and nobody wanted to actually step out and say, hey, Merry Christmas in the stores. Do you remember that? Things have changed since, but... It almost became like offensive to say Merry Christmas. And so everything became Happy Holidays, and we had the crazy bunny season in Easter. And, uh, but um, everything moves away from God being central. So having said that, it was right about this time when we, uh, a bunch of us decided that we were going to make crosses, very high, eight-foot high crosses, painted white with, with plywood, and um, six, eight foot high, about five foot wide, the cross beams, painted white. And on it, with red, we wrote Mary on the cross beam and Christmas on the down beam. And then a few hundred of us took those. I mean, there were hundreds of these crosses we made. Took them downtown to the corners of some of the busiest streets right there in Michigan Avenue and Wabash and the Golden, the Golden Mile and all of that, you know right there by the river, and hundreds of us stood there with these massive crosses on the corners of the streets, waving at everybody, like shouting, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, all the cars had come by. And people were like, oh, you know, aren't they fearful of doing that? Not really. Everybody started honking, like, yeah, cheering. People were shouting, Merry Christmas, God bless you, amen. You know, 99.9999% of the people loved it. And so, you know, you would expect only good things to come from it, especially when that same week a Christian, a local Christian radio station called me on my cell phone and wanted to have an, a live interview right there and then. And I said, of course we can, you know, thinking that this is friendly ground. And uh, as we started having this conversation, the guy, uh, this radio DJ, asked if I was aware of how we were giving Christians a bad name by doing what we were doing. Like, you guys are really, don't, don't you see how you guys are actually showing the world how intolerant we are of them and how little we are willing to understand them and consider them? And um, I immediately asked, well, what do you suppose would have been a better way of spreading a Christmas me message in this anti-Christmas era that we're living in? What would you suppose? And he said, well, Christianity would have been better off had, had we had given free sandwiches away on the corners of the streets versus standing there with offensive crosses. And um, I, I must be honest with you, I was flabbergasted at first. I didn't actually know what to say <laughs> because I was expecting this to be a, a friendly conversation, and it was live on radio. And so I, I, did, I did have to, like, I was taken back a little bit, and then I, I remember this coming out of my mouth. I said, hey, well, I guess the cross of Christ communicates one or two messages to every person in this world, right? To the one person, the cross communicates an invitation to the other person, they, they see a threat. So, so is Jesus. You know, the same cross can promise something so incredibly beautiful to one while something so absolutely horrific to another. The same cross, the same message, the same Jesus. Two messages. It's not the message that's two. It's the hearer that hears it, and it's the heart that receives it as a threat instead of an invitation. The rebel heart will always hear the word of God and go like, oh, that is so uncaring, unloving, unthoughtful, inconsiderate. That is so intolerant. You know, That's how the rebellious heart will always hear the word of God, while the, 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 the submissive heart that loves God will always hear it as, thank you for the invitation. I'm so privileged and I'm so honored. I feel so loved. I feel so cared for. Uh, and so... People will hear that same message two different ways. You see, the same Jesus, this same Jesus is the promise of eternal salvation to one, while at the same time to the other, a promise of everlasting damnation. Same Jesus. In, in, in the exact same way, just like the cross, just like Jesus, the fear of the Lord is one coin with two sides to it. Uh, to one person, the fear of the Lord is a fragrance of life. 
It's a delight to the other person. That same fear of the Lord is the fragrance of death. To the first person, it is a blessing, while to the second person, it is a sense of torment. To the one person, it's a freedom. I am now free, free from. To the other person, well, why so legalistic? Why so, why so straight? Why so strict? You know, so two messages, same word. You see, to the unbelieving, the unsaved, to the enemy of God, the fear of the Lord would mean this. Fear God. He's your enemy because He plans to cast you into hell forever. Fear Him. That's to the unsaved, unbelieving enemy of God, the unregenerate heart. He would, he would hear the fear of the Lord and He would cower from this fearful God who must deal with all sinners justly. He will hide like Adam. To this unbelieving, unsaved, fallen man, this enemy of God, this unregenerate heart, when he hears the fear of the, word, fear of the Lord, he dreads it. He dreads this bloodthirsty God of war who wants destroyed the entire population of the earth with water because he was tired of their sin. And so they fear this God, their enemy. They cower from him. They dread him. They hide themselves from him just like Adam hid himself from God because of sin. That is the unsaved, unregenerate heart, the the fallen man's experience when he hears a message on the fear of the Lord. The unregenerate person experiences that. But then, to the believer, to the new creature, to this new creation, to this, to this regenerate heart, when he hears the fear of the Lord, it means the exact opposite to him. It means your perspective and your understanding of God is that He is so very powerful. He is so ultimately majestic. He is so thoroughly just. He is so perfectly holy. I can't stop looking at Him. He is ever loving, ever gracious, ever kind. He is so su supremely glorious that you wouldn't dare run away from Him. can't help yourself to run to him and throw yourself at his feet because he's so awesome, so perfect, so holy, so glorious. You can't help but to throw yourself at his feet. Can you see the difference? Same message, different responses. He is so inviting. He is so promising. You shudder and you tremble at the idea of drifting from Him, running from Him, or turning your back on Him. Have you ever had that feeling where you go like, I just had, I, I looked through my past. This happens to me. Maybe just to me and not to you. But I look at my past and I shudder at some of the moments I've experienced where I came so close to the edge of throwing it all away. <laughs> I came so close to walking away from God. I drifted so far I was about to turn my back on it. That, that, when I think of that, I shudder at that moment. That is the fear of the Lord in you. Has that ever happened to you? That is the fear of God. The fear of God causes you to tremble at the idea of walking away from Him. To fear God is not another commandment. And we read that that way. You know, it says, fear the Lord. Now, we go, fear the Lord. Okay, well, then here's one more thing for me to do. Okay, how do I do this? Fear the, fearing God is not a commandment to obey. It's a natural response you have when you are a new creature. It's a natural response because the fear of the Lord is not something I obey, but it's the attitude that I have when I answer God with the word, yes, God. It's the way I agree with Him. It's I agree with Him in fear. I dare not disagree with you. I dare not argue with you, God. Who am I? Oh, you should read through the book of Job, and you will see when Job came, and he says, well, God, I have a little problem. And God says, where were you when I stretched out the universe? Where were you when I told the ocean to not go any further? 
to go right there, not any further. Where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I created the sun? Where were you when I established the foundations of the heavens? Where were you? Oh, in God's being so sarcastic with him, saying, you know so much. Where were you when I did that? You see, and when we fear God, we respond the same way. We go, God, who am I? You speak, God, and I obey. I can't wait to obey. I'm eager to obey because I fear God. So the fear of God is not a commandment to obey. The fear of God is the eagerness in your heart, the attitude in which you want to so urgently serve Him. That is the fear of God. It is the believer's heart attitude that has this overwhelming desire to come to God, this overwhelming desire to surrender to God. We talk about God's unconditional love. It's really our unconditional surrender to God that matters, right? Because God unconditionally loved many people going to hell today. The change, the difference in a person's life is not that God unconditionally loves them. It's the fact that they unconditionally surrender to God who loves them enough to save them. Have you thought about the fact that God unconditionally loves many people going to hell today? You see, it doesn't matter as much as a person whose heart fears God says, I just can't wait to surrender to you. This person who fears God is urgent to turn to God, urgent to serve God, urgent to worship God, urgent to be used by God. This is the person who fears Him. He is like that Ethiopian, that eunuch in the New Testament when Philip comes and he ministers to this eunuch that was sitting in some sort of chariot going along with a bunch of horses just racing down the street. Philip is busy sharing the gospel with this very powerful man, this Ethiopian. And as he's sharing the gospel, this man's heart is touched by God and the fear of God rises up in this man's heart. And as he's listening to the gospel, while he's being taught the gospel, he says, there's water, what prevents you from baptizing me right now? Baptize me now. You see, he's urgent, he's eager to be right with God. This is the fear of the Lord. To the one who fears God, it is vital, it is critical to work things out in regards to being right with God. You see, it's not the person... Let me see, I believe I had the verse there. It's Philippians 2, verse 12. It says, So then, my brothers, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So he's saying, okay, you guys, you guys love to obey God when I was with you. But now, even while I'm gone, he's writing to them and he's saying, Paul's saying, and you love... You're so much more eager even now while I'm gone to serve God. You have this eagerness, this urgency within you to obey God. He says, that's good. Work out your salvation. That's good. Work out your salvation with what? Fear. Work out your salvation with trembling. Work it out. This eunuch goes, there's water. There's water. What stops you from baptizing me? Baptize me now. What else, what else can I do? I know I don't have to do anything to be saved, but now a saved person loves doing certain things. I mean, I, and here's one thing. I'm telling you, I just, this thing hit me behind, between the eyes this week. It was a meme. Can you believe it? I wasn't even studying the Bible. It was a meme by Washington. He just put up the scripture. It says, and this is how you know, this is scripture, and this is how you know that you have transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is how you know it. Have you ever wondered if you're saved? This is how you know it. You know it by the fact that you love the brothers. You love God's people. You love Him. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's loving on this church. He's loving them, saying to them so much more than as you've obeyed in my presence, you now obey in my absence. So I'm, I'm begging you, work out your salvation with fear. Not half-heartedly. Not easy believism. <laughs> Don't drop the bar so low. Nobody has to even know that you got saved. 
No, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. And so this eunuch goes, hey, what, what is it? There's water. Baptize me. What stops you? Come on, let's do it. Philip must be like, hey, I'm not finished presenting the gospel yet. I don't care. Baptize me. There's water. I don't want to miss this opportunity. See, that's the person who fears God. To the person who doesn't fear God, there's always a, ah, oh, well, you know, I'll pray about it. <laughs> See what the Lord says about this baptism thing. I'm not so sure if I should or shouldn't. Maybe later. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, you know, I'm not getting married right now. I just, I got so many other things I still need to take care of first, you know. My, girlf my, uh, my girlfriend and I, you know, I mean, it's love that matters, isn't it? We live together, and so there's no rush. I mean, we're good. We're good. Um, hmm. Nothing urgent about doing life in the fear of the Lord. Not really me. That's not how I hear it because for whatever other reason, you know. In the meantime, you know, I'll just, I just enjoy different churches to hear this special thing that I like to hear and that's niceties that I like to enjoy and I'll first see what this job of mine requires before I look into uh, any kind of like putting my roots down anywhere you know like here's how you know that you've come out of the darkness into the kingdom of light by the way you love the brothers and if you cannot tell the brothers what Paul told the Philippians, how are you loving them? If you cannot say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I beg you, I'm not trying to be right. I'm not trying to win you over. I'm just, trying, I'm just begging you. I love you enough to tell you, work it out with God and do it urgently. You don't need more furniture before you make right with God regarding your relationships, your living relationships. You don't need other things are all junk and garbage what's important is make it right with God that's the issue right there and if you love people if you love the brothers that's what you will be urgent for that's what you'll be urgent for you see the New Testament treats the fear of God as a Motive for not turning away from God. That's how it treats the fear of God. Uh, but rather, it treats it as an shudder at the idea of leaving God, turning from God, drifting from God, and it makes you eager to run after God. Romans chapter 11 verse 19 says this. It says, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Check this out. Okay, this is fascinating. Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you, now stand by your faith. Okay, what is he saying? He was saying branches in this vine were broken off, referring to Israel. He says, I broke them off. And now that they're off of this vine, I can reach into the Gentiles. I'll grab a bunch of you and I'll, and I'll graft you in. But he says why he broke them off. He says, quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. Now you, stand in your faith. So what's he saying? He carries on and he explains this. He says, do not be conceited, but fear God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, Israel, he will not spare you either. You see, the New Testament treats the fear of God as a motive for not turning away from God. It's a motive for me not drifting from God. This is the reason I don't turn my back on God no matter what society or culture demands of me. The reason people can go on to, you know, talk shows and they can hum and haw about scriptural positions regarding social issues, they actually don't know what the Bible, suddenly they don't know what the Bible says about these issues, is because they have no fear of God. They have no fear of God. I kid you not. If you want to know if anybody has the fear of God, put them on the hot seat on an Oprah show and ask them about abortion. You'll know if they fear God or not. It's just that simple. 
Put them on the Ellen DeGeneres show and ask them about what the Bible says about homosexuality. You'll know if they fear God or not. Because the person who fears God fears God more than he fears, fears man and actually doesn't care about their life. They're not looking to not be discriminated against. They're not looking to not receive persecution. They're not looking to be loved by the world. They aren't committing adultery, spiritual adultery, trying to be in bed with the world, trying to get the world to love them. They're not like that. The one who fears the Lord is like, I don't, I don't you know, <laughs> I have no interest in being accepted and loved by you at the expense of being accepted and loved by God. Are you guys following me? The fear of the Lord makes that difference. So here he tells us, as, as a warning in the book of Romans, a New Testament, New Testament book, by the way, he says, just like Israel were broken off and thrown away and Gentiles were grafted in because they didn't believe, I'm speaking to you Gentiles now and I say, hold fast to your faith, don't become conceited, but fear God, for if God did not spare Israel, the natural branches, He won't spare you if you drift from Him. This tells us that we have to fear God as an incentive not to drift. The New, Testament fears, the New Testament fear of the Lord is a preserving work in the believer's life. So what is the difference between the fear experienced by the unbeliever and the fear experienced by the believer? Well, this verse right here basically outlines it clearly. It says in Proverbs 28, 14, it says, How blessed, how blessed is the man who fears always. How blessed is the man who fears always. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Jacques, don't you know about all those verses where the Bible says, fear not, fear not, fear not. I'm, I'm explaining to you the difference between those fears you ought not to have, okay? <laughs> because it also tells you to fear, all right? Throughout the Old Testament, hundreds of scriptures, you can go look it up yourself, and throughout the New Testament, it's everywhere where the fear of the Lord is to your benefit and to your perseverance and to your preservation and it's and it's to your freedom that you fear the Lord you'll see it now in a minute so Proverbs 28 14 says how blessed is the man who fears always hmm. but now he's going to give you the opposite the person who doesn't fear God he says but he who hardens his heart so here we get it okay the hardened heart is the heart that doesn't fear the Lord okay so how, how blessed is the man who fears God, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So here's the difference between the two kinds of fears. The unbeliever has a fear of God that torments him, while the believer has a fear of God that blesses him. The unbeliever's fear of God causes dread. The believer's fear of God is a source of delight of freedom. The unbeliever's fear of God makes him cower and hide like Adam, while the believer's healthy fear of God makes him feel cared for, loved, safe, and secure. So what are the blessings that belong to those who fear the Lord? Because I want to show you what the fear of the Lord, the promises that are connected and linked to the person who fears God. Proverbs 22 verse 4 says, the reward of Humility and the fear of the Lord is this. Riches, honor, and life. Those are the rewards. In Proverbs 14, 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. A fountain of life that one, that one may avoid the snares of death. He won't see death. He fears the Lord. Acts 10, verse 35 says, But in every nation, in every ethnicity, the man who fears him, and does what is right, is welcome to him. Why do you think to some they can just run to the throne of grace with all confidence in their time of need? They have a fear of God. But the one who cowers from scriptures, and the one who cowers and hides and dreads to hear all of scriptures, that one there has a very unhealthy fear of God. 2 Corinthians 2, 7 verse 1, Therefore, Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. All right. I got to just pause there. Can you hear this? Cleanse yourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. This is 2 Corinthians, a New Testament verse. 
Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement and flesh, uh, defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. There's so much there. Maybe you've experienced this, and maybe you know people who experience this a lot. But there's defilement, there's brokenness, there's sin, there's a, there are addictions, there are habits. And they simply cannot, they simply cannot get free from it. They simply cannot stop. They simply cannot get rid of it. They cannot be delivered from it. Here the Bible says, cleanse yourself from all of those defilements. Perfecting that cleansing. How? In the fear of the Lord. When a person actually fears God, they can overcome the very thing that's overcoming them. That is what it enables a person to walk away from what binds them. Perfect holiness in the fear of God. But if you trivialize, if you trivialize God, if you trivialize and minimize His word, why would it ever be possible for a person to actually walk according to the very word that they've trivialized? It's impossible. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Now, last one. Acts 9 verse 31. The Bible says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. They enjoyed being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord. They enjoyed peace amongst one another. They were built up in strength. They moved on in their lives. How? In the fear of God. <clears throat> many, many, many promises that are connected to the fear of the Lord. So, how do I fear the Lord? Or how do I know that I fear the Lord? I have five characteristics of the person who fears God. And I want to list all of them for you first, just right off the bat, and then I'll explain them to you. But these aren't the things you need to do in order to fear God. So, you don't do these things in order to fear God. No, no. The person who fears God naturally do these things. These things are not the reason why you fear God. These are only proof of the fact that you do. In other words, if you look to these things and you go like, well, that's very true for me. It's because you already fear God. If you look to these things and you say, well, I need to, I need to do that. I need to do that. It's because you need to fear the Lord. <laughs> you can't fear the Lord by doing them. But when you fear the Lord, it will naturally be done in your life. I know I fear the Lord when, number one, I love His Word, while at the same time I hate my sin. I'm not saying you don't sin. I'm not saying I don't sin. I'm saying that we hate the sin we have because we love God's Word. God loves so intensely, He has to hate. And when He plants that in your heart, it is impossible to love and delight yourself in the Word of God and the things of the world. Impossible. When I love a child, I hate to an equal amount that child abuse. Does it make sense to you? In order to really love, Hate is naturally. It's a natural thing. So I love His Word and I hate my sin, number one. Number two, I know I fear the Lord when I refuse to argue with the Scriptures. I will not strong-arm God's Word. There's never a tug of war between God and I where I think I have a better opinion than God's Word. I'm like, well, God, what about, I know how to love more than you know how to love. Number three, I know I fear the Lord when I'm resolved to never turn away from God. I shudder at the idea of turning my back on God. I tremble at the idea of drifting from God. Number four, I know I fear the Lord when I love coming closer to Him. It's a joy, it's a delight. Adam dreaded coming close to God, but you, the new creature, you just love coming close to God. It's a delight. It's refreshing. Number five, I know I fear the Lord when 
I no longer fear man. I just, uh, I just don't fear man. I just don't fear their opinions. I don't care for their ideologies. If it's just me against the whole entire world, I'm completely content. If everybody turns their back, nothing was taken from me because what I had, you didn't give me. I am free. You see, when Christ sets you free, He sets you free in that way. He sets you free from the bondage of sin. He doesn't set you free to do what you want, no. He didn't set you free from, from, uh, from parameters and guidelines and guardrails, no. If He sets you free from guardrails, then, what, then, then you would never be accountable for anything. It's like I remember when I, when I flew through, uh, landed in Netherlands, and they said, well, here in the Netherlands, we have, we have almost no crime. Drugs is not a problem. I said, what are your drug laws? Oh, we don't have any. Oh, okay. So if you remove all the laws, you have no crime, right? You see, but Jesus didn't come to, ab to abolish everything. He says, no, I came to fulfill this in you. Okay, so, so here we see that the person who's freed by Jesus, when the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Not only are you free from sin having its claws in you and forcing you. Somebody says, no, let me just quickly say this. It's on my heart, so I need to say it. No, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. No man is ever free. No man is ever free. Some guy came to me and he says, I have a free will. I can choose whatever I want. I'm saying, no, you can't. You are not free. I am free too. I'm like, all right, are you ready? He says, I'll show you. I have free will. I'm like, all right, well then, stop sinning. Go. Well, I don't want to. <laughs> if you're free, then stop sinning. But if you're saved, then start sinning. See how that works for you. You're not free to sin either. You're not free to not sin. <laughs> you're not free to sin. The unsaved person can't stop. He loves it. The saved person... He can't wait to stop. He hates it. You see, you're a slave unto righteousness or you're a slave unto sin. That's what the Bible says. Somebody, I can feel somebody's going like, Jacques, what are you saying? The Bible says you're a slave unto sin and then when you're a re regenerated new creature, you're a slave unto righteousness. I, I mean, I hate doing the wrong thing. I look back and I go like, uh, Jacques, why? Jacques, stop it. <laughs> don't you do the same thing? If you don't hate your sin, that's a, that's a concerning thing. I'm not saying you don't sin. I'm saying you hate it and you can't wait to stop it. So let's walk through it quickly because I think there's so much that God wants to show us here. Number one, I fear God when I love His Word and hate my sin. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2, it says, but to this one I will look. Imagine God says that. Imagine God says, ah, to this person, I will put my eye on them. I will search the whole entire population of the earth, 7 billion, to find that person and look upon him. He says, but to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. God said something. What was that? God, I don't want to miss a word. I hang on the lips of everything that comes, every word that comes from God's lips. What, is, what was that God say that again? I want to write that down, God. I want to memorize that. I want to make sure I actually live by it. I'm eager, God. That's the fear of the Lord. And God says, but to this one I will look. To that person, he's caught my eye. The one who trembles at my word. Do you tremble at the word of God? You see, we, don't, we have to tremble at the Word of God. And the fear of the Lord makes you do that, and I'll tell you why. Okay, so, um, you know, my wife and I, over the last three years, <laughs> you know, I would look at the Scriptures. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I've been preaching that wrong for 20 years. <laughs> oh, I've been wrong. It's more important for me to be right with God than prove that I've always been right the way I've seen things. You see, 
the, the person, mm, let me say that. So the person who trembles at the word of God is the person that goes like, oh, I was wrong, I change. <laughs> like, that's the person who fears the Lord. The person who doesn't fear the Lord, they like, uh-uh, no, no, uh-uh, not go, no, not changing. Been doing this for 20 years. That's the way. God, what's it? Jeremiah 29, 11. He's, he's got plans for my life, and that's to bless me and prosper me, not to harm me. Just read three more verses down and tell me if you still believe that. <laughs> or the chapter before it. It's like, and next week I'm going to show you what it means to study the Word of God in the fear of the Lord. To study the Word of God in the fear of the Lord. You have the grammatical principle. You have the literal principle. You have the historical principle. You have the synthesis principle. And then you have the practical principle. And you want to filter everything you understand about the Word of God through those five principles in order to study the Word of God in the fear of the Lord and saying, God, because I want to know what you are telling me and mean when you said what you said. I don't want to impose what I want you to say upon the very scripture I'm reading. All right, so this has been very true for me. I read this. It says, but to this one I will look. The one who trembles at my word. God, I tremble. I don't want to get this wrong. God, I've been wrong and I want to, be, I want to make it right. I want to change. I want to make it right, God. That's the one who fears the Lord, but the one who says, nah, nah, -uh. nope, nope, not that word, not that word, James, pshht. Old Testament, pshht. Uh, you know, everything until it is finished, pshht. from there, selectively, I will choose and come up with my systematic thought, theological thoughts. That person does not fear the Lord, but the one who fears the Lord says, I tremble at what you said, because I don't want to be wrong. Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Bam, period. We can now pack up and go. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That's what it does for you. Proverbs 16 verse 6 says, In mercy and truth atonement is provided for in iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Now, Lord knows I have spent hundreds and hundreds of hours counseling people. I have walked through difficult situations with thousands and thousands of thousands of people over the last 20, some 30 years. I have walked with myself through many things. And I can tell you out of personal experience and by what I've learned from others, this word right here is true. And by the fear of the Lord... One departs from evil. The one who trivializes their sin and cannot depart from it simply doesn't fear God. But when the fear of God is blown into them, when, they, when the fear of God comes upon them, they can't sleep until they've gotten rid of what they need to get rid of. They can't sleep until they make right with those they need to make right with. They depart from evil so quickly when the fear of God comes upon them. And that is what our nation needs. Have you noticed throughout the history of this nation how much good has come from these pulpits? Do you realize that schools were started from behind pulpits? Ivy League colleges were started by the pulpit. People were freed from slavery as was driven from behind pulpits. Females received Equality by the pulpit. And so much good has come from behind the pulpit. But now we look <clears throat> at a nation who doesn't depart from evil, but they run to it. Right? Now we look at a society that's absolutely given to evil. And the question you have to ask is, if the pulpit drives ideologies within the seats and within the communities and within the families. If the pulpits have been throughout the ages, the generations of this nation driven where society stood, why is society standing where it's standing right now? In other words, you have to ask the question, what has the pulpit been preaching? <laughs> That's the, really the question you have to ask. Certainly not the fear of the Lord. That's what you know. Because by the fear of the Lord... One departs from evil. 
But when you don't hear any of the fear of the Lord, people don't depart from evil, they run to it. And they justified in it. And they trivialize God's standards. And now they can, I mean, some of the policies people support is shocking. It is shocking. And the pulpits will say nothing about it. Because it's a tickling of the ears. Because people are scared of being left. But if the pulpit feared the Lord, they couldn't care who left. <laughs> it wouldn't matter. You see? Because the fear of the Lord, and that's our last point, makes you fear no man or their opinion. I hope you're following me, but right here in my mind, I understand exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> By the fear of the Lord come the one departs from evil. This is why people are stuck in their sin for decades. And they go like, man, I just really want to get away. I just really want to, this time is the last time. This time it's going to work. This time I'm going to be free. This time whom the Son has set free is free indeed. This time, yo, watch me now. Watch me now. Watch me this time. And guess what? There you go again. Got to visit them in the hospital. Visit them in the rehab. You know. This time, no, it wasn't. You know why? Because by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. By the fear of God, that is what allows somebody to actually exit the slum they live in. So I know I fear God when I currently love His Word, while at the same, in the same degree I hate my own sin. Number two, I know I fear God when I refuse to argue with Scriptures. Second Chronicles 34.27 says, Because your heart was tender, Humbled yourself before God. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God. When you heard His words, you humbled yourself. And against this place and against these inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me. In other words, you repented. I truly have heard you. Again, let me put it in a nutshell. He's saying, because you heard me, and you fell down on your knees and you tore your clothes and you said, I heard you, God. I heard you. I tremble at your word. I heard you. God says, now I will hear you. Now I will hear you. I'm just wondering why so many prayers go out and so many prayers are answered. <laughs> it's like God says, when you hear my words and you tremble, now I will hear your words. So I know I fear God when I refuse to argue with scriptures. You see, that means I fear God when I refuse to rise above what God has already said in His Word. When I refuse to stand up against God and say, well, God, that's not love. Or when I refuse to stand up against God and say, God, well, you are love, therefore you can't say that. Or that should not be preached. Or that, that shouldn't be emphasized. And that has to be mis misinterpreted. You see, when somebody has to do mental gymnastics in order to keep their theological uh, um, system intact, well, that's not fearing God, folks. That is simply not fearing God. Fearing God is when you say, God, you said it. And I humbly repent for having seen it opposite. I change my mind. I change the way I see it. You see, I fear God when there's no fighting me against what the Bible says. The greatest, the awesomeness, the greatness, the awesomeness, and the holiness of God cannot be approached and a prideful, puffed-up, insensitive guy who's an all-know, you know, the, the guy that knows everything, you know. You simply cannot approach God who is so holy and so righteous and so full of glory and justice as, hey, buddy Jesus, hey, my buddy Jesus. Jesus is my own boy. That became a big deal. That became a big thing. And, you know, it's, a, it's really devastating because it really just plays into the fact of where people really are at. You see, I know I fear God when I refuse to argue with God's will, with God's word. Number three, I know I fear God when I am resolved to never turn away from God. I want to read to you, this is a book that, that's very, very um, inconspicuous, or I think, that, I don't know if that's the word, but it's very hidden. This book is the book called Jude. It's right before the book of Revelation. It's a tiny little book. It's got one chapter. It doesn't even go by Jude chapter 1 or chapter 2. It just says 
Jude 5, verse 5 through verse 7. Okay, because there's only one chapter. I want to read to you this quick. He says, I want to remind you of something you already know very well. The Lord, who once saved people out of Egypt, later He destroyed them because they didn't keep the faith. Verse 6, second example. I remind you too of the angels who didn't keep the position of authority but deserted their own home. The Lord has kept them in eternal chains in the underworld until the judgment of that day, great day. So he says, you see my chosen people? God went, He saved them. And because they wouldn't believe, He actually got rid of them. He destroyed them. And He says, and you see these perfect angels, these perfect creatures He created? Well, because they didn't obey, He chained them in the underworld and He's ready to cast them into hell forever. All right, then He gives a third example. <laughs> in the same way Sodom and Gomorrah and neighboring towns practiced immoral sexual relations and pursued other sexual urges. By undergoing the punishment of eternal fire, they serve. In other words, they will be in eternal fire. He says they serve too as a warning. Warning. So he says, here are all these warnings. Right at the end of the New Testament, and I realized when I, when I read that, which was his intent for writing it, Jude. His intent was so that you and I can go, whoop, I'm, you know, I gotta I've got to check myself to see that I'm in the faith. I believe the Lord. I give myself to the Lord unconditionally. <laughs> you know, I am not drifting God. Here I am. Use me, God. You see, the New Testament treats the fear of God as a motive for not turning from God. That's the fear of the Lord. It's not absent in the New Testament. It's extremely prominent in the New Testament. And it means, the means of the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. It is to start giving you the wisdom you need. It is to clean you. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You see, the fear of the Lord is to make sure I don't drift. It is the means by which God makes sure that we don't turn from Him. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29 says very, something very similar. He says, See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. Okay, what's he saying? He's saying, hey, you see in the Old Testament, these people were warned by the prophets, those who are on earth. And if they didn't take heed... Uh, they, weren't, they weren't able to escape God's wrath. He says, and in the same way, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. You and I, we have now heard from God, from heaven. We can't ignore Him. Verse 26, at that time, His voice shook the earth during the Old Testament, but now He has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So in other words, He ramps it up in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, He just shook the earth. In the New Testament, He's going to speak and shake the earth and the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Right there, is two terms explaining one term used in other translations as the fear of the Lord. Let us worship God or give Him acceptable worship, which is worship in fear of God, for our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. I'll show you something. So when we started, I showed you how, um, you know, the cross sends... One message heard two different ways. It's an invitation to one, and it's a threat to another. Jesus seems to be a savior, but also the one who condemns those who don't believe. The fear of the Lord is the same thing. The fear of the Lord to the unbeliever is a dread. The fear of the Lord to the believer is a delight. So the same thing, 
is true with fire. I mean, fire promises a lot, keeps you warm. Fire is sometimes romantic, you know. Fire can make your food. Fire can do a lot. You can push a train down a train track. Fire is powerful, but it can also consume. So there's a very positive thing about fire, but then there's also something about fire that absolutely consumes. Here he says, by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire, these people, these people who pursued things other than God, they serve as a warning to you and I. So the New Testament treats the fear of God as a motive to not turn away from God. In 1 John 4, verse 18, it tells us how the fear that we have to be done with. You might be saying, Jacques, don't you know that there are all these verses in the Bible that talks about fears that you ought not to have? It says, do not fear. Do not fear. Perfect love costs out all fear. It says it right here in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love costs out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. But you see, God doesn't want His children to walk around in His house trembling and fearing Him in a cowering way, in a corner somewhere, like Adam hiding from the Father. That's not the fear God is looking for because that's the guilt-ridden fear. That's the shamed fear. That's the rebellious fear. That's the fear the person who rejects God has. That's the fear of fallen man experiences, you see. So I don't want my son to cower away in the house hiding from me because he's fearful of me. No. But neither do I want him to be disrespectful, have no awe, <laughs> you know, no eagerness, no urgency to live peaceably with me. You see, and this is the different kind of interpretation of fear. Nehemiah 1 verse 11 says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. So here we see the kind of fear God does want is not the one that makes the person cower from Him, but the kind of fear that makes a person delight in Him. This is the kind of fear. It's a reverential fear of delight. <clears throat> Number four, I know I fear God when I delight to come to Him. In Isaiah 11, verse 2 and 3, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon whom? Uh, upon Him. Who is He talking about? Jesus. This prophet is prophesying about the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. He says, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and the Spirit of might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will rest upon him. And then he says about the fear of the Lord in verse 3, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. For those who really fear the Lord in a healthy way, we delight in the fear of the Lord and we shudder at the idea of not fearing the Lord at all. I know I fear God when I do not have a cowering fear before God, but instead I have a sense of being cared for by God, like being cared for by the Lion of Judah. He cares for me. I, I tremble at Him, but I, but I love being cared for by Him. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I tremble at this mighty warrior, Jesus Christ on a horse with a sword in His hand. I, I tremble at Him, but, I, but I'm cared for by Him. I love being cared for by Him and being protected by Him. You see, I tremble at this mighty conqueror, this King, Jesus. I tremble at His power, but I love being protected by Him and being saved by Him. You see, that is the fear God is looking for us to have. That is the fear you can delight in. I delight in being cared for by this Lion of Judah who's vicious cares for me. That's the fear of the Lord. Coming to Him, even though He's fearful, I find safety in Him. Finally, number five, I fear God when I no longer fear man. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. The fear of man lays a snare. Other translations say it this way, the fear of man is a trap. People step into it and they don't realize they just got caught. Consider the story of David and Goliath, how David 
He feared God in such a way he didn't even fear a, a, a giant, Goliath. Charles Spurgeon says this, He who fears God has nothing else to fear. He who fears God has nothing else to fear. So I want to end off today by answering the question, well then how do I gain the fear of the Lord? How do I gain that? I see how important it is. I see all the benefits that come from fearing God. I see how devastating it is when somebody does not fear God, how absolutely inadequate they are to walk away from evil and destruction. The question now is how, how to gain the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2 verse 1 through 5 tells us, it says, My son, accept my words. I'll accept your words, Lord. Store up my commands. Store them up. One after the other. Have a good understanding of the Word of God. And then it says this, Turn your ear toward wisdom and stretch your mind toward understanding. Turn your ear toward wisdom and stretch your mind toward understanding. The Bible has a lot to say about incline thy ear unto Him. And then it says, they will heap up for themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. But here he says, rather, turn your ear to wisdom. You see, most people, what they will do is they will look for the guy that will talk to them about what they already believe. They're looking for affirmation over existing belief systems. They're not, they're not saying, okay, God, I'm going to turn my ear to wisdom. They don't go to the Bible themselves. They want to find somebody else that will validate them. They'll... Here, to fear the Lord, it says very specifically, turn your ear to wisdom and then stretch your mind toward understanding. I mean, knowing God's word and dividing it rightly is not natural. There's a lot of time, there's a lot of focus, and there's a lot of energy that goes into studying the word of God and dividing it rightly. Because you have to harmonize it with all of it. Therefore, you have to work hard to grasp it. He says, call out for insight. Cry aloud for understanding. God, help me know you better. Help me understand your will. Then he says this. This is powerful. Seek it like silver. Seek it like what? Like silver. What is he saying? He says... In the same intensity that you go after your salary, your money, and making treasures, the same intensity, the time, and the effort, and the education, and the preparation, and the sweat of the brow that you have to go through in order to attain, he says, that effort right there, seek for it like you seek for silver. Seek for God's wisdom like you seek for silver. Search for it like a hidden treasure. Search for it until you find it. You think about those people just... just you know, going at that mountain, trying to find the gold in that mountain. He says, search for it like treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. I mean, if I look at that portion of scriptures, I can tell you now, the reason so few people have the fear of God is because they have zero intensity in comparison to what's necessary in order to have the fear of God. They have zero intensity to know the word of God, the commandments of God, the wisdom of God, the understanding of God. He says, my words, my commands, my wisdom and my understanding, search for it like silver. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2 verse 1 through 5. So in conclusion, the fear of the Lord is what stops me from trivializing God. It's the thing that stops me from trivializing God. It's the thing that stops me from taking him lightly. It's the thing that prevents me from having buddy Jesus or homeboy Jesus. It's the thing that stops me from seeing him that way and relating to him that way. It is what stops me from making God an afterthought of all my decisions. The fear of the Lord makes God the first and foremost thought before you make a decision. It is my fountain of life. It is how God initiates wisdom in my life. 
but it stops me from trivializing God in my decision-making process. Now, next week, I have to do this, even though I don't like doing series, I have to do this because it's such a, uh, really an unknown subject, but I want to talk about what does it take or what does the fear of the Lord look like in different contexts? In the context of choosing a spouse in the fear of the Lord, what does that look like? How does the person who fears God go about searching? And what is it that they look for? The fear of the Lord in the context of marriage. What does that look like when a spouse is married in the fear of the Lord? What does it look like when somebody's parenting in the fear of the Lord? What does that look like? What does it look like to be an employee in the fear of the Lord? How does that person, how does the fear of the Lord cause that person to act on the job or that husband to respond in marriage or that parent when he raises his child or that single when he searches out, searches out a mate? Like, how does the fear of, fear of the Lord determine all that? And that's what we're going to talk about next week. I hope you enjoyed that this morning. Let's close our eyes. Thank you. God bless you.